Hello, it's me, Tom Walker here, and welcome back to The Memories That Made Us, where we explore the power of recall and the moments that have shaped us. So far, you've heard from some familiar faces, and that's not going to change next year. But today's episode is the last before Christmas, and I wanted to leave you with something a little bit different. It's a story so life-affirming, you can't help but feel grateful for what you already have and the incredible things that you get to do. And that leads me on to a truly remarkable man. I'm speaking today to Mr. Jonathan Acott. Now, when Jonathan was just 29 years old, he was diagnosed with cancer for the first time. And after six months of intensive chemo, he was cancer-free. Or so he thought. You see, Jonathan went on to beat cancer five more times. Over 15 years, he's had 32 tumours and 45 lymph nodes removed and countless cycles of chemo as well. Now, this episode is definitely not for the faint of heart. There is some strong language and we do travel down some rather dark paths along the way, which some of you might find a little bit disturbing. If that sounds like it might apply to you, do check the show notes for more details. But the amazing thing is, while staring death in the face, he has managed to live life in a way that most of us could only dream of. From climbing mountains in Tanzania to marathon cycles, runs and swims across the UK, Europe and US, Jonathan's capacity to remake and rebuild is awe-inspiring, with a sense of humour and a positive outlook that is just infectious. I cannot wait for you all to hear this one, but before we get into it, I do want to let you know we didn't have our normal audio setup, so it might not sound as crisp as it usually does, but it still sounds banging. Anyway, enough from me. Let's hear from Jonathan Acott. The memories that made us. Jonathan, how are we? I want I want I want to save the world, fix the world, and I've managed to oh, do lovely. well. I've survived. I'll take that all day long. I'm all right. Uh, Yeah, good. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure, mate. Absolute pleasure. Um, I'm going to start off, as I do with all my guests, how is your memory? Because mine is absolutely shocking. So what's your memory like? I've got I've got different types of memory. My my short term, like, where did I leave something? I I never lose stuff. I, I, I remember my facts. In terms of remembering parts of my life, huge, huge swathes of it are missing. Yeah, I literally, I, I have nothing. I have nothing. Right. But it's punctuated with some really strong memories, both good and bad. And I don't really have much, you know, a little bit from school, but not very much. And it's sort of, it's almost like when I started getting ill, it sort of broke my brain, for want of a better expression. And it, it nothing, nothing kind of worked the way it did before. And that includes my memories. You know, I'm not as clever as I was. And, you know, I can't think as fast as I used to. But memories are the same. Like you know, I, I couldn't tell you what I did last week, but I could tell you what what the sur- what the surgery was like sixteen years ago. Joe, that's that's it, it, it. I now have this thing where I only remember the very good or the very bad. Was it the treatment and the chemo that kind of had a bit of an effect on your memory while you were getting treatment, and then afterwards you kind of regained a bit of your your memory? Chemo is just a stultifying, painful, time consuming, time sucking morass of memory for me for me it was about making time go and that in itself was the is the memory that's all i remember of that process nothing kind of worked the way it did before and that includes my memories you know i'm not as clever as i was and you know i can't think as fast as i used to 
and I don't have a, I don't have as strong a grasp on the past as I used to. Yeah. You know, the memory is just about making for me, for me, it was about making time go. And life is just happening to you and you're you're just a passenger for that period of time. And what, what ran through your head, you know, when when you hear that for the first time, when you hear the word cancer, because obviously it's the last thing that anybody wants to ever hear in a doctor's office. Was it was it fear or anger or sadness or so overwhelmed, shocked, numb. I don't think for one second I was scared. Yeah. Just, you know, at that point in time, I thought, um, get this done, get over and done with, get on my life. Yeah. So I was diagnosed in, nine, in 2004, so I was 29. Yeah. And that that was very much the mindset was just a, this is going to be unpleasant, it's going to be horrible. But I didn't know what chemotherapy was. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what it felt like. I didn't know what it experienced. I didn't know the time would drag. I didn't know anything. There's a naivety. But at no point then did I think I was going to die at that point. Yeah. At no point in time did I think this was going to be the start of something. And you you said, um, you know, life was like moving wallpaper you know hmm. are those monotonous memories the the ones that kind of scare you the most yeah and scares exactly the right word i mean i can i can i sort of close my eyes now and i can take myself back to my hospital room on chemotherapy breakfast is served at seven because it's a hospital and they wake you up at seven o'clock that's outrageous that's fast yeah, it's really. just it's just rude <laughs> um but seven o'clock you have breakfast and then you have an hour off so on my last treatment i was on drip for 23 hours a day so I'd get an hour off and I'd sort of go for a shower and go for a walk. Come back, then hook you up to a drip again, and then, there you are. This bag's going to take two hours to flow through. Then another bag change at 11. The next bag's going to take three hours to flow through. And the next bag's going to take five hours to flow through. And the next bag's going to be running all night. So your time is dictated by when they change your medicine. And filling the gap in between, it's you know, cash in the attic or scrubs or, you know, or how I met your mother, you know, just whatever's on television. And it's on, but you're not watching it. It's just, as I said, moving wallpaper. So do you find when you go out and do something, because obviously you get up to so many amazing different things, you know, going out and cycling from Land's End to, to John O'Groats, marathons, ultra marathons in almost every continent, swimming in freezing lakes and climbing <laughs> up huge mountains. In, in these... I mean, the thing to know is so I've, 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 I've done all these things. None of them are fast. I'm not at the sharp end of any of these things, but I've done them. But the moment that absolutely stands out, the, I was Kilimanjaro, and you, you try to get out to Kilimanjaro for early morning. So you walk through the night or you hike through the night. And I saw sunrise from Gilman's Point, which is like a full summit on the way up. So it's like another two hours on from there. I can, I can picture it now. And I, I could just see the sun breaking over the, over the mountain, over the plain. And I can see the curvature of the earth because wow. it's so high. But That's it's amazing. the most beautiful picture I've got. Yeah. Um, and that memory there of, of all the stupid things I've done, of all the escapades and adventures I've done, that one really, really stands out. Just for that moment. I was vomiting. Were you vomiting because you were a bit ill or just because oh, you yeah. just climbed up a, a huge mountain? No, no, because I had a, a little bit of altitude sickness. I was, I was, yeah. not, fit, I was not feeling particularly well. I said to the guy, I said, oh, mate, I'm not feeling it. I think I might have to. He looked at me and went, those are bloody stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Off we go then. All right, cool. Yeah, cool, it's fine. fine. All right, it's fine. Yeah. So I'll carry on. I'll carry on, shall I? <laughs> 
Yeah, and and I, well, I suppose you must be pretty damn fit then. You know what I mean? Like all of these things are like massive achievements for for somebody who's in perfect health. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I suppose I am. I suppose it would be it would be churlish to say I'm not. I mean, I'm not. I could be fitter. You know, I'm, I carry a bit of timber, but it's not a lot of this. I mean, a lot of this isn't about necessarily about fitness. That's a stupid thing to say, but it's not about. It's about ability to continue. Yeah, a few years ago, I was—I I really fancied. I, I, I swam. I swam ten k in, in a pool. I thought oh, that's not too bad. I can do that. I thought, do you know what? I need a decent, decent body of water. I'll go swim Lake Windermere. About as much thought as that went into it. Um, so I rang a mate of mine. I said, "Can you paddleboard Windermere?" He went, "Yeah, no problem at all. I'll swim it." He went, "It's twelve miles." I went, "Yeah, it's fine. Be around." <laughs> Yeah, no problem. <laughs> well, Swimming was... twelve miles is 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 a feat, you know. <laughs> so, so, so I literally, I, I got, I've got, literally, I got about two miles, three miles into this, and I thought into the swim, I thought, you know what, I oh, fuck that. I really have bitten off more than I can chew here. That I, I, I am really quite underprepared for this one. Now, years ago, I would have carried on swimming, regardless, because I have to finish and I have to get that. That's that 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 trophy on my wall. Yeah. But post therapy and post learning, I re- recognise that actually I don't have to do anything. If I'm not enjoying it, I'm not going to bloody do it. So I, I bailed out of a bike ride in South Wales. So I was hating it. I was windy. It was cold. The other riders were asses. I was just hating it. So I stopped. Bailed out. So I thought. I thought I'm half out this. I'm you know quite well out this lake. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm quite, it's actually quite good fun. I'm tired and this is stupid and I made a mistake here, but I'm going to carry on. Yeah. At hour seven, I'm sort of sat there in the middle of Lake Windermere, floating in my wetsuit, looking like some sort of fat seal. Um, my mate sat on his paddleboard next to me. He goes, you're right. I went, ah, oh, Jesus Christ. This, I've, I have no idea what's below me. I can't see the other end. I can't see where I've come from. I can see the size. What the fuck am I doing, Ollie? Yeah. He went... You're swimming like Windermere, like you said you were going to. Right. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I was hoping for something a little more, a little, <laughs> a little more a little motivational. More inspirational, but, yeah. That was, but that, that's quite a literal interpretation of what we're doing. But should we yeah. carry on then? Why not? <laughs> yeah, it's fine. So I, ca- I carried on swimming, and, I, yeah, and I, I've got there. Uh, Ollie, Ollie says to me, "You know what you just done? You're just about to swim Lake Windermere." That bizarrely, that made me really teary, and I remember yeah. that really. I could see, I could see my family, my family on the on the at the end and I go, I got quite teary there. Yeah. But it, you don't have to be stupidly fit. Yeah. You need to be able to swim and understand that it's going to hurt. It just, yeah. You just have to be determined. And that I believe will, will, will get you 80% of the way. Bit of training, a lot of, a yeah. lot of uh, mental strength. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I know you've described feeling like a, a kind of passenger in, in your own life during the treatment. When you achieve something like that, that's obviously takes a lot of training and is is an amazing feat. You know, does that really burn in? That's something that you're not going to be forgetting. It does. It, it's one of the problems I've got is I feel like because I because I'm wait I wait uh, sometimes I end up feeling like I'm waiting to get cancer again. Right. I feel like I've got to squeeze things in and get things in because you know what happens if I get it again. I'm almost trying to force an experience in so I have another positive memory that I won't forget. So if someone says to you, you know, what was your life like? I'm like, well I can remember this. Otherwise it's just going to pass in a blur and I won't have anything to show for right. 16 years with cancer. That, that's it. You know all you can do effectively is steer yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And hope you end up in the right place. You've just got to go with the flow and let whatever happens happens and make the best of every situation. Yeah. 
Well, the first time I went to one of the hospitals, I actually remember going into a chapel and saying a prayer, which felt remarkably hypocritical. Yeah, yeah. Because I'd never, I'd never, well, I'd never been before. It's yeah. like, God, if you're listening, I know I haven't been for 20, 28 years, but now if you wouldn't mind helping me out. Yeah. It just, but no, I found myself talking to a priest years ago about the nature of preordained life. And I said, I don't understand how you can reconcile God when people do bad things. And he went, yeah. the nature of your preordained life is you're born and we, God knows where you will finish. The path you take to get there, that's yeah. on you. But where you end up, that's already been decided for you. Oh, it seems like a bit of a cop-out to me, but I do take that point. Um, and this journey is a bit like that. I have control over I it. can't control whether I get cancer again. If I am, yeah. if I try and deny it or fight against it or rail against it, then actually it's then got control of me. Because I've had a, a number of moments in my life that have, have forced me to change and reevaluate and think about the way that I live my life. Something happens to you once and you get over it. It's like, cool, no worries. I'm just going to move on. I'm going to get on with my life. But when something keeps recurring, I know you had a dark moment yeah. where you, you'd kind of lost control. Uh, yeah. of the situation it, I'd, I'd been keeping pain medication for from about the third cancer at that point in time you sort of you realize that you're in this for the long haul yeah um and i didn't ever see myself wasting away in a hospice or a home I, it just wasn't my particular didn't fit with how i envisaged my life ending um, so I'd been keeping pain pills from all the stuff. You get the, you get the good stuff when you get have as many big surgeries as I do. They get, they tend to give you the good stuff. And I'd be I'd been I just kept I just kept end of end of boxes and you know I probably had two or three hundred very very good painkillers. Um, and it was just it was somewhere around I don't actually I don't actually know when um, somewhere around third or fourth cancer. And it was just. I'd been diagnosed again and life was getting hard and it was getting difficult to find a way out of, of feeling that way um, about wait, almost for waiting for the, for the other foot to fall. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, that, that I wanted to get the control. I wanted, I wanted to try and get some of that back. And I was, I was in a very, very, I was in a very dark place, and it was, I was self-destructive. There was, I was doing quite a lot of drink. I was doing, I'd been, I'd done quite a lot of drugs, and I thought maybe just uh, this is the easiest way because this is going to continue. This is going to be part of my life, and maybe it'd be easier just to to to, to resolve the matter now and not have to do this and not have to be. I it wasn't about being a burden for other people. It was just about. It was about not. It was about doing something on my own terms. Yeah, I suppose having the, having the choice, isn't it? You were in control yeah. of that situation. Exactly, yeah. and it wasn't. It, it wasn't about. There was no moment. Um, there was no. There was no. This is now. I must do this now. It was. It was. You know, ten, ten, twelve years of consistent hope being dashed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And of losing a huge chunk of my life uh, to treatment, to illness, to yeah, and there were good things along the way, and that's that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not 
denigrating those good moments, but it was, it was not, it was not enough. There was enough. There was enough pain and discomfort and lack of hope and uh, despair. And I was, I was just, I was just at that point. I was, you know, I was, I was a good way through a bottle of bottle of whiskey, um, and I was just contemplating and thinking about. And I knew I had those pills upstairs, uh, and that 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 was a turning point. I got referred to a psychotherapist at the Priory. Um, don't know why the Priory just happened to be there. Who then referred me to a very because I've I've had th- I've had therapy in the past and counselling in the past, and I've never I've never got on with it. And then he referred me through to a guy called Andrew, who was incredible. Uh, and he was uh, an intervention psychiatrist. So he would get called by the police or the fire brigade if there was someone who was um, looking to hurt themselves. And he was great. And he actually, you, you asked about turning, that that was the turning point. Not, 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 the, not the moment of contemplating suicide, but of the getting help. He made me realise and made me see that a lot of what I've been doing, I, I lost my 30s. And thirties is your warrior phase, where you should be going out and you're, you know, hunting tigers and traveling and adventuring and you know, yeah, that that phase. And I missed it, um, so I almost had a very premature midlife crisis. But to lose my thirties is why I was overcompensating. To lose, you know, to 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 lose that ten years of what I'm supposed to be, almost you know, what you defined as as a man, um, yeah. that quite toxic, those quite toxic traits that men have, I was overcompensating. And he re- he made me see that actually the process of moving, because the, the next bit there after then is the wise king, um, and then it's the old fool. So I'm getting there as well. But <laughs> So there's a story, years ago, a friend of mine was an A&E doc, and he was telling me a story about how a guy had come in with a carrot up his ass. And he was explaining that the, the guy had said he fell over naked cooking. Fell over naked cooking. Now, that, old, <laughs> that old story. <laughs> yeah. As we've all done it. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> now, no one, no one believes that story is true. He knows it's not true. The doctor knows it's not true. The, the nurse knows it's not true. Everyone that knows, everyone knows that wasn't the case. Yeah. If that guy had owned his carrot, literally, and owned that situation for that 20 seconds, 30 seconds of mortifying embarrassment. Yeah. He gets liberated because everyone relaxes. No one's laughing about it. They're laughing with him. And actually, his life gets markedly better if he's prepared to swallow that pain and that guilt and that that embarrassment for 20, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Yeah. For me, the cancer's like that. If I own the fact that it's going to probably limit my life, that in itself is freeing. So it's yeah. not about it's not about losing control, being in control. It's actually about ridding myself of the notion of control. That frees me to live my life accordingly. And I feel much more comfortable now in that wise king mode. Yeah. Because I can offer advice. I can offer some sagacity. I can offer some perspective to people if they want to ask yeah um i can i can help people now and i'm less you know and i have don't have those destructive tendencies because i know who i am yeah and i've i've physically and mentally i've arrived at where i am yeah um and that that was that was the turning point so i'm old before my years um but that was that was a major turning point yeah Yeah. old before years but very wise as well i often find that these you know when you've been through a lot 
it's because of those situations. It's because when you have to go through hardship and when things get really tough, you are forced to learn from it and you are forced to, to try and see uh, a positiveness in it because otherwise it's just all negative and, and it's, it's difficult to, to live your life like that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Khalil Gibran said, out of suffering for most of the strongest souls. And that's so true. Yeah. Those people that have suffered are genuinely quite interesting and are resilient. And yeah, you know, it's we've got stories to tell. Absolutely. And talking of stories to tell, I read a thing that you know when you initially got diagnosed with testicular cancer, the doctor asked uh, you if you wanted a fake testicle, and you asked this, him if he had honestly, one. Honestly, <laughs> and that, that that was a moment well, that kind of must have been quite surreal. But, uh, so for the doctor, Jonathan, Jonathan, what's his name? Jonathan Green, something. I'd been to see him that morning. He told me what the procedure was. Relatively simple operation. Um, I'd come back and I started drinking. And literally, I, I, I drank everything in the house. I was on champagne, at the, and I literally got to the champagne. I was, I was, I was rat assed. Um, and it, the phone right. rang. I'm like, uh, it went, Jonathan, it's Jonathan Gre- Greenland. Jonathan Greenland here. I went, uh, hi. He said, um, yeah, just a quick one. Uh, do you want a fake testicle? I'm like, I'm like, uh, <laughs> what do most people do? He went, it's, it's about 50-50. I said, do you? I said, I said, I said, do you do one the lights up? He went, dude, one the lights up. That would be bloody marvelous. What? And he went, what about Jack? We could do one that vibrates. And I said, I love the idea, but if you smack it to get it going, I'm leaving. And so yeah, it's it, it's yeah, surreal yeah. moments find you. Um, it's like I, said, I went first one yeah. of the first blood appointments I had to have. And I walked into the room, and there's a, there's, a, there's a male nurse in there, and he was lovely. He was so friendly, but he was he was quite effeminate, and but very very aware of it. Yeah. And he was so much fun. So I sat down in the chair, and he's he literally was making small talk, and he said, "You he might have a little prick." I went, mm, "Don't put yourself down." And that memory, that moment, is burned <laughs> into my head because I can just pitch this guy's face, and that yeah. level of humour and yeah. everyday life cuts through the morass of shit. It's just people being people yeah. is such a wonderful thing. And seeing hu- funny humour um, is yeah. just... It's just essential. Were you always funny as well? Or do you think this this whole experience... Is, is, have you tried to find more humour in your life since your first diagnosis? Or were you that's always a, quite funny? That's just a really interesting, really, really interesting question. No, I wasn't always funny. Um, I, yeah, I was. I was always sarcastic, but I was never. I wasn't funny. But actually, I'm still not funny. Just funny shit happens to me. Um, and you need to. And you need to be able to. I, I would disagree with that. <laughs> I think you're quite funny. Oh, thanks. Uh, but, you, but you just you just need to be able to. T- you know, for me, it's it's, it's recounting this shit is is yeah. my way of coping with it. And actually, do you know what? It, this stuff is funny. That's happened to me. I mean, the sperm sperm donation. Just, I can still lie awake at night and chuckle about the sperm donation story. Um, Tell us a bit about that. <laughs> so when, so when you're about to start chemo, yeah. the doc said to me, "We should store your sperm in case the chemotherapy makes you infertile." I'm like, oh, great, no problem at all. So I went up to Oxford to have some kidney tests, and I went to donate sperm that that afternoon. So I sat there, so I got there. But if you can picture it, you walk through the door. There's two sinks in front of you, one at sort of waist height, one a little bit lower. There's some plastic seats down the end. There's a little coffee table there with a box file on it. And he's like, ah, there's uh, some <clears throat> magazines in there for you, sir, should you need any assistance. Now, this is the de- this is this is back in the day when you used to go and buy a magazine. You didn't have, you know, didn't have your phone or you didn't have your computer. Yeah, the top shelf. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. So there's instructions on the wall. 
I know what I'm doing. I read the instructions. Years in training. Yeah, yeah. I've been practicing for this moment. Or is this is my Olympics, mate? This is my Olympics. Yeah. So, drop draw, and I've 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 got I've got everything into the sink, and I've given myself a good wash, and then all of a sudden, this searing pain, and I look up and I realise that these two sinks are different heights, and I've washed my cock and balls in the hand washing sink. And I've used alcohol soap. And I kid you not, <laughs> literally, Tom, mate, it's like a stack of coins at this point in time. I am in so much pain. So, yeah. I'm, so I'm, now, I'm now sweating. I'm soft. And there's the only word for it. It's just soft. And I'm now trying to beat myself into a cup because I've got testicular cancer. And the, 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 yeah. the tumour's not out, so I can feel it banging around. You know it was just one of the most hauntingly memorable moments of my life. Yeah. And I finally finish, yeah. open the door, and the guy literally, he's standing in front of the door like he was waiting for me. <laughs> and he hands out his clipboard. <laughs> he was listening in. He holds it up to his eye, looks at me with a disapproving look on his face, looks again, and looks back at me. I'm like, ah, what? He went, nothing, sir, nothing. <laughs> That's even worse. That's even worse that you didn't say anything. The, the best bit about that, I was on the way down there and uh, I told mum what I told mum and dad that I was going to uh, have some sperm store. And mum said to me, Do you want me to come with you? <laughs> no, I don't want That's just what you want to hear from your mum, like, isn't it? Mum, I spent, <laughs> come down, I spent, yeah, absolutely. I spent right, 15 exactly sitting in the waiting room. I spent 15 years trying to make sure you don't know what I do behind closed doors. I don't need you sat in the waiting room waiting for me to do it. <laughs> Thank you for offering. Just to explain it for the audience, I take it you you, you froze your sperm because you've you've got kids now, don't yeah, you? Yeah, do. three and three and six. Is that three, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they 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 were, they were both born with like. So, <laughs> sorry for this it's an irony. So I froze my sperm because uh, chemotherapy might make me sterile. Um, so we started yeah. trying. My wife and I started trying for kids, and we it wasn't working. So I went for a sperm test again much much more civilized you could do this at home and then take it in so, um yeah. drive and that was fine but it turns out sperm's absolutely fine in the interim in that process i had another operation another cancer and they yeah. severed the ejaculatory nerve Ooh. um so everything's still i don't know what that means but it sounds bad so, <laughs> so, so basically <laughs> so I'm gonna, I, I, without grossing your listeners out too much um so basically when i had my one of my surgeries uh yeah. there's a nerve that drives ejaculation. So I still have perfectly normal function for sex. However, yeah. nothing comes out. It's called a dry ejaculate. Right. It's called a dry ejaculate. So now it turns out I've got perfectly functional sperm, but now I can't get them out. Because I've... Well, thank God, thank God you froze some. Well, precisely. So now I've got these frozen sperm. Uh, but don't forget, I'd have had a pre-run so there's like literally six. Yeah. There's there's like six sperm in that. I know I'm exaggerating, but there's like not there's, <laughs> because, you, because you didn't read the because I didn't read the instructions. Chances of having more kids exactly because it's only about four sperm. Precisely, left. and they're yeah. really tired. Um, <laughs> so then we had so we had IVF um, and was something called ICSI, where they actually take one egg and one sperm and inject them into each other. So it doesn't need huge quantity from my point of view. Um, right. So yeah, so two kids through IVF. Um, Wonderful. But yeah, it was it was no thanks to me not reading the instructions. But a good story. Yeah. Very good story. I guess, I mean, how do you, how do you see it? Because I, I was interested when I was reading up about you, obviously having cancer 
and recovering from it as many times as you had, I was thinking to myself, that's very unlucky. But I suppose on the other side of the coin, not many people would survive cancer that many times and then get out and run an Ironman. So how do you kind of feel about that? I don't think I'm unlucky. I've been treated for my cancer and I've survived my cancer and my treatments, my surgeries six times now. Yeah. And it's that makes me lucky. What would make it unlucky is if one of those was untreatable. And, you know, that's a different conversation entirely. So so the luck element there, I actually believe I'm fortunate to then sit around and wait for something to happen or sit around and wait for life to happen. It's not going to lead to any satisfaction. I mean, you know that as well as anyone. You, you know, if you sit around and wait for things to happen, it's not going to happen. You have to go out there and do things and make things happen. Yeah, I've had to choose things when I'm well enough to do them. Yeah, and that yeah. that having choice is what's driving me. Yeah, absolutely. And and is there anything that that you regret from over the years? You know that that you you wish you could have done differently. Is there anything that you've regretted in the past that has has really taught you something moving forward? I was. Second job, I was in sales in the city and I was just, um, I was in the office late one night and I was a, there was knocking at the door and I went to the door and there was a, there was a young lady behind the glass, glass screen and she's, li- she's literally, she, her top, she's, she's self-harmed and she's cut her, t- her chest to pieces and she's standing right. there and I was, I was just, I was just a dick. I mean, I was just, you know, I was, I was. 22, earning good money, living at large. I just wasn't the sort of guy I would want to be with or spend time with. And I just said to her, look, just, just fuck off. Get out. This is private offices. Go. Fuck, yeah. And you know, I, 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 I tell you that now, and that is, it makes me feel sick to say that because I yeah. was that callous and that lacking in empathy or basically just human decency. Um, and besides, so she, she, she went. About half an hour later... I, an hour later, I was leaving. And I don't know why, and I'd never done this before, but I did it then. I went upstairs to check the doors and to check the roof. And the roof door was open. And I went through the roof door. And I look out, look out, and she sat on the edge of the roof, looking down onto the street. And this is in Charing Cross. It's about five or six floors up. And literally, I just, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. But you know, you know, you know, when there's moments when you think you know, you you're a young lad, you think you know the world, and you, you know, you've got the world at your feet, and you can conquer anything, you can do anything. I'm full of piss and vinegar. I, I went you to think talk. You'll to have her. the words to say. <laughs> do you know what? I, I genuinely, I genuinely thought I can do this. I can talk. Yeah. Her, I can talk her down. No problem at all. Yeah. So I walked over, and she sort of looked at me, and I just stared at her. Just, I had nothing. I had nothing. I had no words. So I looked over the edge and I thought, I'll sit down. I'll sit down next to her or sit down on the edge with her so she feels like she's... And I looked over the edge and thought, fuck that, I can't sit on that, that's too high. Yeah. So I'm standing there now and I looked at her and I went, I said, do you want a cigarette? She said, yes, please. I don't fucking smoke. So I haven't even got a cigarette. So brilliant, so that's a good start. My next gambit was um, such a lovely day. You don't want to kill yourself on a day like this. Why don't you wait until it's raining? Then I said... A helicopter flies over the top. I went, oh, look, a helicopter. Have you ever been in a helicopter? I'm like, stop talking, Jonathan. <laughs> so the police have turned up at yeah. this point. And um, the policeman says to, the, says to the young lady, do you want him to stay? Like, assuming maybe we've built some rapport. And I, I shit you not, her exact words were, dear God, no. <laughs> um, now, right? Who knows what to say in that situation? I, don't, I, think, I think you can't have the perfect thing to say. 
because everyone's so different, you know. And I think just being there and fumbling over your own, uh, your own words, trying to come up with something, you know, is better than nothing. Hundred percent. Well, and that was that. That was that was that's where I got to. You know, it was it was better yeah. than nothing. Yeah. But thinking back now about how callous I was, and then how confident I was, and then how useless I was in the space of a thirty-minute yeah. window is quite the mental mm. trip to recognise all those parts in yourself. With hindsight, recognising a person I didn't like, that, that's a very humbling process. So I'm in, te- I'm in therapy, and I'm telling my therapist this story, and I told it to him like I've just told you. Yeah. Um, have you ever thought about it the other way? I said, what do you mean the other way? He said, you were the only person on that yeah. roof with her. How's that for a different perspective on your yeah. same story. Yeah, yeah. That is how you learn, isn't it? You make mistakes. <laughs> and like, sometimes I think back to moments in my life and I win because I'm like, oh God, I can't believe I've done that. But if you don't do those moments, you never you never change as a person. And especially if you don't react badly to when you've done something, you know, that's questionable, then you're not human. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it, you, it, but you're, exper- you're experimenting with your boundaries and what feels comfortable for you. You know, if, if I'd said, you know, if I'd, if I'd said to her, you know, go on clear off, get out. And then I'd left and hadn't gone to check the building and she, she, God forbid, had actually hurt herself or killed herself that day jumping off the roof. Then that is a sliding doors moment where had I yeah. not done what I'd done, you know, so that I think you, ha- as you say, you, 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 you make mistakes and you, you learn from them or you try and learn from them. You try and evolve each time something happens, good and bad, and yeah. stop making the same mistakes each time. I don't care how many mistakes you make, just don't make the same one twice. Would do you think you would have done as much with your life if you hadn't got diagnosed with cancer? Because you're so busy just getting on with like, okay, nine to five, get money, pay for house, get mortgage, have kids. Do you think you would have done all these amazing things if you hadn't a bit? No. Diagnosed? No, 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 no. I was thinking about school the other day. I have to say, genuinely and without any oddity here, I was a very bang average lad. And I was, yeah, you know, I was sporty but not sporty enough to get in with the those kids. I was clever enough, but not geeky enough to be just a geek. Um, yeah. Never felt entirely like I fitted in anywhere. I mean, uh, uh, honestly, oh, cancer's my origin story. Yeah. I was I was bang average before. I wouldn't have done this. I'd have like, you know, I'd have yeah. done, maybe done some nice holidays and maybe try, but I, would, I wouldn't have adventured or lived the life I have lived. I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't have a deposit on go to run a marathon in Antarctica. Yeah. I just, w- I wouldn't have done it. Do I wish I'd never had it? Of course I bloody do. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm glad I'm the person I am now. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, that's the whole point of the book I'm writing is actually, you know, if you don't learn from the lessons you're handed out, then you're not paying attention to those lessons. And just, just rounding up, because I don't want to take up too much of your time here, um, because we're, we're running over our allotted hour. <laughs> if you could put three items to sum up your life so far in a memory box to to keep forever what what would they be um birth of both girls yeah um that's that's easy and there's one memory which is it's a little odd i was in hyde park when i got the call from my oncologist that first time i was in remission and that feeling of relief and hope and 
optimism, that that feeling, that moment is one I will I would keep because every time after that, it's always been tempered with will it happen again? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. always been tempered with when will it happen again? Will this be the end? Will this be every single time there's always been more questions than answers. So much so I don't remember any of my other remission dates. But that one, August the 26th, 2004, I remember that clearly because there was unbridled hope and optimism at that moment in time. And no yeah. one can take that away. No one can take that away from me. Yeah, 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 100%. And if, if there was a moment that you could go back and relive again and relive it exactly the way that it was, is there a moment that you would go and do that? The, the day... The day that made me the happiest that I would do over and over again is actually my wedding day. And I do that over and over again. I think that's a good yeah. choice. I think that's a solid choice. And finally, the memory you'd keep, if by some freak accident you forgot everything, but you were allowed to keep one memory, what memory would you keep? Oh, it's going to be the 20th, August 26th, first remission. Yeah, yeah. yeah it has to be. Yeah, it can't, yeah. that's, I thought it might be. It, it's so it's so pure and it's so innocent and naive and and ill-informed <laughs> but, but yeah it, it'd be that it'd yeah. be that moment amazing well thank you so much Jonathan it's been such an absolute pleasure speaking to you and getting an insight on your life so thank you for being a part of this podcast man I really appreciate it and I hope everyone who's listening has, uh, has got a thing or two to learn from what, what you've been saying to us Tom I've loved it thank you alright mate nice one I'll see you next time wow what a man, what a story. This year has been such a struggle for so many of us, but Jonathan's been through something unimaginable and come through the other side, not just surviving, but more driven than ever. It was certainly something I needed to hear and maybe you did too. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, remember there's always someone to talk to or to text. The Samaritans can be reached on 116 one two three and do check the show notes for details if you're outside of the uk or ireland now this is the last episode for the year but memories that made us will be back in january and although there might be a little gap and a cheeky christmas break do stay with me because i'll be speaking to some of my musical heroes my friends and maybe even my family as well and i can't wait thank you so much for listening i can't tell you how much it means to me and if you are enjoying these chats that I'm having, feel free to leave a comment or maybe a little cheeky rating on Apple Podcasts and let me know what you think. Let me know who you've enjoyed the most and who you want me to talk to next. But for now, that's it. I hope you have an amazing Christmas and a very happy new year. Thank you so much for listening. Much love to everybody. I'll see you all very soon. We're talking about some memories we made. We're talking about the good, the bad, the bittersweet and truly sad. We're talking about the memories, the memories that made us.